You can move that pillow, Norm, if you want to. I think Rod's home now. I saw that post. I know, double chemo and double everything. Terrible. Well, I'll remind you tomorrow how that sound. Okay, Melissa. Melissa from Canada. I listened to your new song the other day. If that was new, it was really good. <clears throat> Arlene, Scott. All right, we're going to start. We have four with us. <laughs> Plus our big, huge crowd here. So going to get after it. All right, well, this uh, today is our uh, will be our last lesson from Chapter 2 that I'm writing from No Penal Substitution. Then next week we'll start Chapter 3. So I hope you guys enjoyed last week when we talked about Noah. You know, one of these days I'd like to do a whole teaching, uh, quite a bit of teaching about the symbolic understanding of the different characters and different things in the Old Testament, but we'll get through them. I'm okay, he's teaching a lot of that too, but I'm going to continue with this. I'm enjoying it. Uh, Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 uh, when he was talking about the sacrifices and all that and the priests and everything, and he said the blood of bulls could not take away their mistaken identity. You know, talked about sin, because, but that's what sin was, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really easy. It's a much better to say what it really was. So people were sacrificing all the time, and Moses told them to, and other people did, and they felt like that God did it. But it never did, nor could it take away their mistaken identity. And he also wrote, if the offerings of the old sacrificial animals could have given them a consciousness towards Father rather than a sin consciousness, or we could say a mistaken identity consciousness, then they would have continued to do it, and they should keep doing it. And we really should ask that if all the things that we were taught to offer God, our money, our time, our talent, our treasure, whatever it was, uh, we should have woke up and said, you know what, this is not stopping my mistaken identity. This is actually confirming it, <laughs> you know, and it keeps it out in front of me all the time. And so the offerings, year after year, really reinforced a sin consciousness or a mistaken identity conscious. I was thinking about this this morning. If I repeatedly come to you with an offering to please you, then that continues to produce a sin conscious in my mind, right? Because I'm always saying I'm not worthy of your friendship. I'm not worthy. And so I'm always needing to do something to keep you happy with me. And that just keeps me down all the time. And I tell you, the majority of my young Christian life I was always trying to please God. So that was the proof that I didn't believe God was proof, uh, satisfied with me or happy with me. Yes. And he didn't really love me the way they said he loved me. Mm. You know, or, or like uh, Kathy says, he loved me but. And then all that other stuff. So we could say for the most of us, when we went to church, we were repeatedly taught things that reinforced that things that we needed to do. We needed to be more faithful. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And so once we actually see the truth that Father forgave us from the foundation of the world. And if anybody's new on here, we're not talking about forgave us for a, a, uh, something we done, did wrong. He forgave us everything that we would ever need for life and life abundantly from the foundation before we really even entered in the realm of time. And it all belongs to us, and we never lost it. So Jesus did not come to forgive us. And a lot of people think that Jesus did. And we pray and we ask Jesus to forgive us. We have. But he did not come to do that. He came to remove this old religious mindset that man had. And the belief that they, they were separate from God. And he freed us from the symptom of living uh, in the realm of opposites. Which we uh, are up one day and we're down the next day. And who we got here? Hey Sue, good to see you. Uh, up one day, down the next day, sick one day, well, the other day, and you, on and on and on. And I like how Kay said this the other day. We really need to start, stop talking about the, the opposite of who we really are because there are no opposites with God. Amen. You know, the, the truth is, is we, we are health. We are the living vessel of health. And I was uh, writing about some people. Then I was talking to Randy Lambert yesterday. And by the way, he's done real well. He's three weeks out from his surgery and just really... We had a long talk the other day, but I just talked to him about you are the vessel of health. 
that you have divine health in you and there is no opposite from health whatsoever because God doesn't live in the realm of opposites and we shouldn't be living in the realm of opposites. We shouldn't think that way. So a lot, we all have experience of form of being, if you would, bipolar spiritually, right? You ever had a person in your family that's bipolar? We have, we have. And it's just one day they're higher in a kite, the next day they're just so low it's unbelievable. One day they're crying, one day they're happy. You know, that's a terrible situation, but that's really what religiosity has done to people. You know, we go to revival and feel really good, you know, and shout and holler and get saved and get saved again and feel good. And we go home like Brother Garner. By the time we got home, we felt about that tall, you know, because we didn't know who we are. So uh, we one day, you know, what we want to do is, is to live out of the cool of the day, which is the, the breath of God and not leave that in our understanding every moment of our life. And that's why we had to control what we speak out of our mouth and what we write to other people and what we post on Facebook and all kinds of stuff. But because sometimes you people say they believe, but then you read their posts and their posts doesn't match up with what they believe. And they begin to produce things that are, cause fear in their life. <clears throat> so we are gripped by the understanding of what forgiveness really means that he forgave us from the foundation. And again, he didn't forgive us for something we did wrong. He forgave, you know, he forgave. If I, uh, when my mother-in-law passed away, I've used this a lot quite often, but she had uh, money set aside. And it was, first thing it was there for was just in case she had emergencies or whatever, but her will forgave that. If it was still there, her will forgave that to Donna and Donna's sister. They didn't, and she passed away, and the will says it belongs to them. They didn't have to earn it or anything. So I know that's a shallow example, but the, that's what Father did for us. He forgave us of everything. And our supply never runs out. Amen. That supply ran out pretty quick. <laughs> but it paid for our house, paid for our car, paid all our debts off, and it made for a really comfortable life. And, but, but the truth is, what God forgave us never runs out. We don't lack anything. We think we do because we're still seeing with the seeing of the eyes. And we're still measuring our body by how we feel in the sense realm instead of getting past that and say, no, the truth is, is I have no pain in my body. And I'm not denying people's pain, but I'm just saying it's, it's illegal. It doesn't belong there. I have a right to wake up in the morning and feel good. I have a right to be able to walk and feel good, you know, and, and I believe we can get to that place. So there's no mark missing from this mistaken identity anymore when you get to this point. So... All that we are ministering as we teach and we explain and we preach these truths and you hear uh, most, a lot of people have heard Kay teach penal, uh, no penal substitution. Uh, she taught like 17 lessons. I'm probably going to end up over 100 because I'm the <laughs> never ending preacher. I like to chew the cud and eat it up and spit it out and chew a little bit more and get everything I can get out of it. And so I teach it uh, pretty long. But, you know, when you get this third book and if you, if you study it, it should catapult you to this experience and that's the goal of what we teach that's the goal of the books that we write is to help people have the experience because we have not in past times experienced what was already ours because we didn't believe it was ours <clears throat> we believed we had to earn it somehow or we were going to get it after we died so we're free from disease of not knowing who we are we're free from the symptoms of the great lie of separation right believing that we're separate from god one of the biggest causes that to me was believing God was out there somewhere. And I was always looking up. I remember when I told you guys, once you don't have to bow your head when you talk to God, he's right here with you, <laughs> you know, or you don't have to look up. If you want to look up, that's fine. But all you're doing is looking up at clouds. You're looking up the sky, but God is in you. And, and you can commune with Father God and you can just think Father God. And you, there you can go 24 hours a day and your thoughts are the thoughts of Father. You can commune constantly. And so that's where we need to be. So without Father in Jesus revealing these truths and absorbing the lie, because that's what he did. He absorbed the great confusion, the mistaken identity. And uh, I believe it was Kay said this. He literally ruptured the law. A lot of people says he fulfilled the law, but he did not fulfill the law. He didn't have to come here and obey the law one bit because, he, because it wasn't required by God. Now, he honored, the, he, he met people where they were at. But he did not fulfill the law. He destroyed the law. He did away with the law because he taught the truth. And so the shedding of the blood and his dying and then being resurrected, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't uh, 
set us, I mean, make us free because we had to experience that by knowing something, but he set us free. He, he set us free by everything that he did, but not free from God, free from religiosity, free from the bondages of men, free from all the things that we thought we had to do to please God. So Father and Jesus liberated us to experience this newness of life that we've always had. You know, I've bought new cars. I'm assuming you've bought a brand new car before. Wouldn't it be nice if it just stayed that brand new look all the time? You know, but very quickly somebody comes along and scratches it. And, you know, then all of a sudden you make this rule that you're, nobody's going to eat in it. But about five months later, everybody's eating it. <laughs> right? Everybody does that. The kids can't. I told Donna when we bought this Honda, I don't want the grandkids eating in this car. Sure. You know, and that lasted probably about a month <laughs> or something like that. But I'm telling you, this life that we have, it's, it's a newness of life. And literally, I do believe that in, in our full awakening and believing and seeing these things, that this, this mortality, this liable to die mentality will put on its immortality. And we will walk in newness of life. Now, I'm not saying we're all going to turn 20 years old or 25 years old. But I'm just saying age is not going to be a, 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 a part of us anymore. And I don't know when that's going to happen, but I do believe it. And so the phrase, I like this here. Uh, I'm thankful for the comforter teacher that's in this earth today. I had a gentleman write me the other day and wanted me to explain it to him. Then he changed his mind because I knew it was going to, he knew it was going to be a little hard for him. But uh, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, I've got to go away. And the reason he had to go away is because he wanted them to quit coming to him for everything. If Jesus did not take his body uh, and, and allow them to kill him and then take his body out of that grave. Because if he, if he would have stayed in that grave, don't you think they would have turned that into a shrine? We would all be going there. And that's why people still, well, once you come to this tunnel that Jesus was in, or here's, here's the crown of thorns that we found. And they make, they, they make what do they call them? Idols, yeah, idols and shrines and other things. They would have done that. But he knew, I've got to go away because if I don't, you're, you're not going to know who you are. You're, you're going to keep depending on me. Right. But he said, don't cry. Don't be upset. I know you can't understand these things, but I'm going to send you many more comforter teachers because it's, the word another means many. Look it up in the Greek. It says many. It's the largest number. And, and when he said, uh, I'm going to send you another comforter, it means teachers and leaders and guiders of truth. And that's what he did. And I say he started with Paul and then John the Revelator. And then the names could go on and on and on until you're in this generation. And I'm one, Kay's one, Don Keithley's one, Butch Hodges one, and the list can go on and on and on. And I don't want to leave anybody out, so I'm going to stop saying any more. But, but there are many of them, and they invest their time. And what they're doing is they're letting this mind be. You know, John said, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus. And it's a passion. And so let mind be in the Greek is it, it, to be mentally disposed to exercise the mind and to interest oneself. And that's where the it's not something that we I don't think it's just something we decided we're going to do someday. I believe it was anointing that Father God put on people. And can anybody study and learn? Yes, but there are people that are anointed comforter teachers that it is a passion and you can't get away from it. And it's been in my life for a long time. And it's just you can't. You're, you're, you're bound to it, if you would. And even though, like Jeremiah, you say, that's it. I'm mad at you. You've been treating me bad. No more God words for me. Just a few minutes later, you're going to say, but I can't help it. It's like fire shut up in my bones. Many times I've said I'm going to quit writing because it takes a lot out of me. But what do I do, Don? I say, I can't help it. <laughs> it's just there's a drive in there. I wake up in the middle of the night. You need to get in there and write or during the day or whatever. And I, and I love it. And I'm glad they're out there. And what we're doing is we're multiplying ourselves. And now there's comforter, comforter teachers all over the place. And my prayer is, is they stay focused and listen to God. Yes. Don't listen because many, many times people says God told me this or God told me that. And it's not God. It's just, it's just something they want. It's their sense, their perception of what God wants from them. And we can all testify that there's times we thought it was God and it wasn't. And it causes problems, right? Everybody can, can really, if you're honest, you can say that. And so with authority, we can say the word forgiveness was wrongly put in Scripture, the way it was put in there, and implying that God had to forgive us. 
And it was done to enforce a constant sin consciousness in the minds of people so they can be controlled by the many religions of this earth. Now, if you want, if you got your Bibles, you want to turn to Isaiah 11. We're going to spend time in Isaiah 11 today. But the truth is we are banners. <clears throat> we are uh, a banner means a way mark. What's a way mark? It's a way to get there, right? You know, when we go to Anna Carl's, somebody has painted a pole out there on that main street when we turn to yours. And at one time or another, there was probably a party and it, it, they said, look for the pole that's got pink on it or something like that. You know, turn this way, right? And that would be a way mark to get to where they're going. So we are banners of the truth that makes us free from the disease, makes us free from the cause of all the symptoms. And there is, whether people want to admit it or not, there is a five-fold hand ministry in the earth today that people need to listen to. And you may be a teacher yourself, but you still need people to listen to. I don't shut myself off by myself. I listen to Kay. Uh, I've listened a lot to Pastor Butch Hodge. I've had all these other ministers in my past, John Cahill, Kelly Varner, uh, the list can go on, Brother Garner. Brother Garner r r literally rescued, rescued my life from a very tough situation. I'm thankful for those teachers. And I still search out and I want to hear what other people are saying. But I want to make sure that it all points to the same thing as what Jesus, if Jesus didn't teach it, I'm not interested. Now, I saw a post the other day on Facebook where some man said that he, Jesus was just a myth. Well, if you want to believe that, that's fine. But Jesus was a real person, just like I'm a real person and many, many other comforter teachers. But he was the greatest of all. And I, I highly exalt Jesus Christ. So uh, I, I was listening or reading one of Josh Bunton's uh, post the other day on Facebook, uh, or yesterday it was, I think, and he's sick and he's not going to be coming to church today. He's a pastor, but he was talking about how much he loves the church and how there's so many people that are disdaining the church. I am not against the church. I would love to have a fellowship of people, but I would, it would be different than the way it used to be. It wouldn't be a bunch of programs. It wouldn't be a bunch of board members. We wouldn't be beating people up to do things. It would be different. But I love getting up and going and fellowshipping with the brethren. I think it's important. And I'm not running down the church. I'm against religiosity, yes. not the church. And sometimes people say, well, you're, you're against the church. No, I'm not. I'm just against the religiosity that's keeping the church bound up. And the church is a people, not the buildings, right? Amen. So if you look at Isaiah 11.1, 1, we're going to go through this some, and I'll talk a little bit about Jeremiah. But uh, Brother Garner taught this years ago, and he called it the restoration, the remnant, and that's what the scripture says. And uh, so Isaiah 11.1 1 <coughs> says, And there shall come forth a rod. When you look that up, it's a twig, but it represents Jesus. And out of the stem of Jesse, which was David's father, a branch. And that's the descendants. And who would that be? That's us. And I used to be upset because they capitalized it B because I didn't see myself as Jesus was. But the truth is, Jesus and us, we're the same. Right? There's, if you saw Jesus and you saw me and you saw what you had a spiritual microscope and you looked inside of Jesus' cells and you looked inside of my cells, you would see the divine DNA of God. Right? Very same thing. But Jesus had a greater awareness. That's, that's the biggest difference is Jesus had a greater awareness of who he was. And we'll talk about that a little while ago, how intelligent he was at 12 years old. Mm -hmm. 12 years old. And I think about that all the time because people say, well, I can't learn. I'm not smart. I'm not educated. Well, you know what? If you could have been kept away from religiosity, you could have learned. We could have learned this, Donna, when we got married. If we if we would have been if our parents would have rose up and said something's wrong with this. Right. And I, and I saw a post, another post I thought was funny. You, you, have you heard about the walk away campaign, the political one? Well, this guy was talking about a walk away campaign in the church <laughs> and it showed a guy walking out of the church where the preacher was preaching. And it said, if you're in a church and you don't agree with what they're preaching, walk away. Well, I don't say leave your church, but I say walk away from that teaching. Don't receive it. Don't sit there and say amen and receive that into yourself. Many years ago, I told you guys that I had a dream many years ago, and I heard a voice right above me in bed, right in there, said, calling all called out once. And I heard it three times. I knew it was time to come up, get up and write. And I wrote about a five-page thing about coming out. 
And the Lord really spoke to me. There are some people that are in churches that are learning the truth. They're hearing the truth, but they're to stay there because those, the ministry, the people will listen to them and hear them. But then there are other people in churches where they won't hear them. And so those people need to come out. But the people in the church, what they will hear, they're to stay there, but they're to come out of what they're learning and get aside and let the Father speak to them or find a, a comforter teacher that can help them. So, you know, nobody can tell you who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> you know who you need. But I do say we need to walk away from religiosity. And there's too, too many people kind of on the fence. They, they still want a little bit of the old and they want a little bit of new and they're still after feelings, and it's time to jump over that fence and go all the way. And so the rod is, is or it says twig. It's actually Jesus uh, coming out of the out of David and Jesse, and it says the branch, and it says to bear fruit. So the branch is us, and we are to bear fruits out of His roots. His roots is what Jesus revealed to us, right? That's our fruit. If we're bearing any fruit other than what Jesus really revealed, then we're, we're bearing dead fruit and we're, we're bearing dead works. And that's what happened with the teaching of the gospel is it was, it was laced with a poison of penal substitution. And yes, if Jesus died because I was a horrible sinner and I was supposed to go to hell, and if Jesus died to free from it, then yes, I would be thankful for that. And I would cry and I would just say, thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for all that. And if Jesus was my healer, and if, if I could pray and if he could touch me and heal me, which he did heal people, he brought them back to their right mind was the most important thing that he did. But if that's who I was, yes, I would. But that's not what Jesus was here for, because we can do the same thing Jesus did. Amen. Now, I'm going to say something funny, but somebody said, I, I put a post on where Donald Trump said, I'm doing more than Jesus did. And it really made people mad. But guess what? Jesus said, you will do more than I did. He knew why he was saying that, because he's done a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he's done a whole lot. And I know it's hard for people, but what if I get up and say, I'm doing more than Jesus did? I'm reaching more people in the world than Jesus was able to do in one setting. What if I said people would get mad, but Jesus said, you will do more than me. That's what he said. Correct? Right. <clears throat> okay, you're more than welcome to write on that on Facebook. <laughs> she, she's there. Sometimes she, a it's, it's a very hard one. <laughs> It is a very hard one. So, so it says here, verse 2, then it says, And the holy breath of the Lord, which your King James says, Holy Spirit, the holy breath of the Lord rests in them, not on them. It said on them, but it rests in them. The, the breath of wisdom and the breath of understanding and the breath of counsel and the breath of might and the breath of knowledge and the fear is what it says in King James, but it's actually the reverence of the Lord. Any place that talks about the fear of the Lord, just scratch through that. You don't have to be afraid of God, right? Amen. So it means the reverence. If you remember, <clears throat> Jeremiah 3.15 uh, was one of the places the Lord took me to when I really received the calling that I'm going to do, be doing in my life. And he took me there and it said, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, my heart, which is spirit, which is breath. It's the breath of God which shall feed you with what? Knowledge and understanding. And I can't tell you how many people I have had tell me on Facebook, we don't need any more knowledge and we don't need any more understanding. Well, go ahead and be that way if you want. I want more. I say, Father, I believe, but help me in my unbelief because there's still some things I don't know to believe. But guess what? I'm searching them out. And we're all searching them out. Verse 16, and it shall come to pass when you be multiplied and increased in the land. And those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind, neither shall remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done anymore. Now, you don't hear that preached about very much. But really, when we, when we gain wisdom, and this is the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, might, spirit of knowledge, all that, that's in us. We don't have to pray for you that you receive it. It's in us. It was put in us from the foundation of the world. And it passed on from mankind to mankind. Man, It was in our DNA, in our real DNA, our divine nature activity. So 
we don't need to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant. We don't need to be looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Last week, last week I talked about Noah's Ark. We don't need to be looking for Noah's Ark. What is that going to prove if you find it? What's it going to do for us? That's why last week I taught the symbolism of all that. We, we've got to understand what's under the veil. Yes. You know, everything's veiled with a religious coat, just a clothing, just like the Ark was veiled. And that was Moses doing, not God. And David realized that it was Moses' doing, and David took it down. If you would have went into David's tabernacle, there was no veil with the ark, and everybody went in, and everybody sang and danced and thanked God for what he had done in their life. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so all this stuff that we've been doing, we don't have to do it anymore because we're finding out that we are one, and we're, we, the, the Father has given us many, many, many comforter, teacher, pastors to help us to understand that they're, we're after God's heart. I'm not after a big building. When I say I would like to have a fellowship, I don't want a cathedral. If you got one, fine, I'm proud for you. I'm not after that. I'm after people. Yes. Amen. I, want, I, still, I, still, I don't like to use the word grieve, but I still desire more people to teach to. Yes. I want to see them face to face. We, they need that. People in Oklahoma need to hear this. Our friends need to hear it. And, and I, I just keep believing there's going to be awakening someday. And they're going to say, would you come teach us? I believe there's going to be a bunch of pastors that are going to start saying, you know what? What we're doing is just not working. And I think a lot of them already know it's not working. They're just, they don't know where to go. They're afraid. So there's only one holy breath in us, right? And so when we look, and how many men are there in the earth? One. One. Many members, right? Yes. But there's only one. So when you look at the scripture and you see a rod and you see Jesse and you know that uh, Jesse was David's father and then you see the branch, which is us, you need to see this as one man. It's one man. As Jesus was, so is the branch. But a lot of the branch people don't quite know who they are yet. But a branch represents the Waymark people. They represent the people that say, this is the way walk you in it. Yes. Brother Garner was a way mark for me to bring me out of where I was to bring me into his understanding. Without his understanding, I would not have been able to understand what I learned after Brother Garner got sick and the Lord began to dictate to me then. Mm -hmm. And so there, we get to these different places. So the, there's, there's only one holy breath, but our holy breath has seven attributes. And it has seven characteristics. And what would you think those are? They're the spirit of, and the spirit of, and the spirit of. Remember, there's seven spirits in the Bible. And so in Revelation chapter 1, the seven characteristics of our holy breath rest upon the branch man. It rests upon the branch. And rest means one with. So seven spirits rest upon this man. Those are being used to explain and teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what they are, the attributes are the spirit of, of the a spirit of holy breath of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear, which means the reverence of the Lord. And that activity is upon people today. But we must let it be. We must allow it. And we hinder a lot of wisdom and knowledge when we're seeking after earthly knowledge and earthly ways. We, we quite often, we, and I'm not telling you that you need to quit anything. But I'm saying we do allow a lot of things to come into our mind that are carnal understanding still to this day. And it wars against the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. The knowledge that Jesus came to teach. It's not so much that I need to know more about Jesus. I need to know more about what Jesus came to reveal. Amen. Right? Yes. So these attributes are, are powerful to us. And we, experience, we can experience them daily. Daily. I experience the knowledge and the wisdom quite often because I, I hear when I'm in there studying and I'm writing or I'm in bed and thinking about what I'm going to write, I begin to hear verses and scripture and you know, it used to, back many years ago, it took me days to come up with a sermon. But I walk in there today and I sit down and I just begin to hear fresh, a fresh voice that says this scripture and this verse and this story. And it all fits together. 
What is it? It's, it's the spirit of knowledge inside of me and the spirit or the, or the breath of knowledge and the breath of understanding. And that same knowledge and same understanding is in you because we all have a union, an unction with the Holy One, which is our Father, and we know all things. If God knows all things, we know all things, right? If Father God is omnipotent, then we're omnipotent, right? And all-knowing and all-powerful, omnipotent, all-powerful. And we're omnipresent. We're everywhere at once. We just don't know it. Correct? I, I'm amazed all the time, and it's just very simple, but many, many times the phone rings, and I know who's calling me. I mean, it's just, I've asked Butch about that, and he said the same thing, but many, many times I'll just, oh, it's Norma, oh, it's uh, Yvonne Grison and Ricardo calling. The other day, they called, and I knew it was them. I just, I just there was just knowing there's a connection, wow. right? And so we often must sit back and just give Father thanks for the goodness in our life instead of constantly saying, would you do something for me? There are people that know a lot of these truths, but they're still praying for God to do something. Bring me a husband. Bring me a wife. You know, give me more money. Give me a job. And the list goes on and on and on. And when we do that, it's literally anti-Christ our life. It's anti the, the breath of God. And it's anti when God says you have all things already. Too bad we can't hear God very well. <laughs> or excuse me, don't hear God very well. The reason why we don't is because we spend all the time talking instead of sitting and listening and meditating. I know, Norma, I didn't hear you last week. <laughs> so we study, we teach, and we speak one-on-one -on -one with people, and we often hear what comes out of their mouth. And what we do is we thank God for his ever-present help. But I, I can only minister to them where they're at. Some people I feel comfortable in bringing correction and reproof with the word, right? Just what I mean by correction, not punishment, but it's just, you know, what you're saying is not correct. I heard a minister friend the other day that had been through a pretty tough time, and he said, that just confirms my, my belief that what Scripture says, that all things work to the good for those who love the Lord. I almost said something, but I thought, no, that's what's comforting him right now. Leave him alone. But we know that's not what that says. It says the word works to the good for those who love the Lord and are called to the table of showbread. And what that means when you study it on what Jesus came to reveal. The table of showbread is a picture of what Jesus came to reveal to us. Crucified, died, buried, quick, and raised and seated. Crucified, died, buried was man's judgment. It's what man did to Jesus. But the quickened and raised and seated is the condition of man. It's who we are. And Jesus was showing us that God would never leave us in that death state at all. So his ever-present help is his holy breath flowing in and out of us. As long as I have the breath of Father, I'm fine, and I have that for eternity. So back to Isaiah 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and shall rest upon him the, uh, the holy breath of our Father and Creator, the breath of wisdom, understanding, the breath of counsel, might, the breath of knowledge, and the reverence of the Lord, and will uh, breathe out reverence of the Lord. So literally, I, I should breathe out of my mouth the reverence of the Lord. When I speak to people, they should sense my oneness with my Father. Not me walking around with acting like I'm better than somebody else, but they should, whatever comes out of my mouth should reflect that I reverence my Father with inside yes, of me. Yes. And that's a struggle for all of us, but we, we need to consciously be aware of that. Uh, and, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. So we don't judge people by how we see what they look like to us. That's a bad one for most people. It's very hard not to look at people and, and almost see disdain, you know. And, but, but we shouldn't. Neither reprove after the hearing of the natural ears. You know, so if I hear something bad about a person, my, my thoughts should stop that. And my thoughts, they're righteous, they're holy, they're pure. They're just as holy as I am. Verse 4, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and the upright with the equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall, it's really interesting, it says he shall master the earth. Now the word that you've got in there, I translated and I should have wrote them all down here. But he shall master the earth with a word of his mouth. Remember I talked to you about the word dominion. It means master. So how do we master the earth? With the words of our mouth. What do we speak out of our mouth? Perfection. 
like Jesus, looked up at the storm. Was it Galilee? And the disciples were freaked out because there was a big old storm coming. And Jesus didn't say peace. He said perfection. You are perfect. You will only do what you were created to do, and it's bring healing rain. And the storm subsided. I mean, can we look at a person that's sick and say perfection? We can, but we don't quite have the confidence yet. But we need to begin to speak perfection. I see nothing but perfection in Rod. Amen. We, we've got to see Amen. him the way he really is mm-hmm. and not see the cancer. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, if there's a diagnosis comes to us or somebody else and we're fearful, we're not seeing perfection. We're seeing the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And we know what cancer can do. So, and we've been fed that on TV and it's for our whole generation for I don't know how many years it's been around. But it's been a really strong thing. So when we hear somebody has cancer, what do we say? Oh, no. Right. But we must catch that and begin to speak perfection and see perfection. So he shall master. When I say he, I'm talking about the one man. We're all one. Right. He, he shall master the earth with the word of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the restless state of mankind. Jesus did that. Correct. We can do that. And we should be doing that. And I believe we are doing that. Verse 5, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an instant of the people, and it shall be into it the Gentiles seek, and the rest shall be glorious. Now, who who are Gentiles? Gentiles are just people who were not Jews. That's all they are. They're not heathens. They're not bad people. You know, years ago, I sang in a quartet and the, uh, the gentleman that played the piano and was the leader of it was Rick Gordon. He was a Jew. His family was the Jewish. And so he, he came up with a name for us, uh, three Gentiles and a Jew. Well, later on in life, I heard some preaching about that. And I just didn't like that at all. He was calling me a Gentile, you know, but because uh, I thought a Gentile was a bad person. But the Gentiles, the people who are not bound up in religion, that's how I would say this. People who are not bound up in religion and, and cast down with religiosity, they're, they're going to come to this. And when they do, it says the rest shall be glorious. You ever, you ever had a night that you went to bed, you fell asleep and you had no knowledge of anything until you woke up and it was a glorious sleep. It was a glorious rest, you know, but if you don't, you're just tossing and turning like I did last night. I got about two hours of sleep last night. It's not glorious at all. Well, when we, when, we, when we sit under religiosity, it brings no rest. You're, 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 it's, you're, you're tossing and turning and you're trying to please God and you're not happy and you're, you're stuck with your memories and your thoughts of things that you've done that you shouldn't have done and it's not rest. But I'm telling you, family, when we, when we rise up to who we are and we master this earth with the words out of our mouth and we go tell people who they are and they've always been this way and they were born this way, That's the most glorious rest they're going to have because it brings rest between them and God. Not God and them, but them and God. God's always been at rest with us. I have so enjoyed going to people and tell them God was never mad at you. Never. I remember Justin Phillips did that a long time ago at his church and put a sign up. And that's where we got the idea. (laughs) But the, the, the whole community was mad at him. The other ministers told him to take it down, and he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And then, then, That's right. Then we put one up here, and we told the story. We put it up, a banner, and one day some religious person uh, took a cardboard box and made a sound of it and put all kinds of scripture and said, God is mad as hell at you. And the, the, the day he did it, a storm came. You didn't know about that? The day he did it, a storm came. That's when we were over on 4th Street and washed that sign down and flattened it, and it ended up in the the garden in the front of our chapel over there. But the, the man, I felt so sorry for the man. Yeah. How can you look at a sign that says God is not mad at you and you say, yes, God is mad as hell at you. See, there's a sermon. Uh, uh, I know his name. I can't get it to come to mind. But there's a famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Jonathan Edwards. I've read his whole book, both of them, two volumes. And that was the most famous sermon, and thousands of people got saved from that. But somebody on Facebook said this, and I like it. It said it had been titled, God in the Hands of an Angry Preacher. 
That's what most sermons have been. God, a loving, gracious, perfect creator in the hands of an angry preacher. And boy, that just really got me. And that's what's been going on. So again, in the day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand as an ensign, as a waymark for the people. And we stand here and boldly say, this is the way, walk you in it. This is the truth, so help me God. As I know it, I, it's, I believe what we're teaching is the truth. And we're going to see more and more of it. And it's just exploding. But it's going to bring a glorious rest. The word ensign in the Hebrew is lifted up waymark our banner. We had a banner out there that said, God is not mad at you. So it's the same word used in lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. Same when Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw. Mm -hmm. You know, I, what, it didn't say men. He said, I will draw all into me. And what he was saying is, I'm going to draw everything into me that you're confused with. All your mistaken identity and all the symptoms of that, I'm going to draw that in me and I'm going to destroy it in my death. And the Bible says twice, one place for this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested to destroy him that had the power of death. And that was the Mosaic law. We could say it was Moses. Moses had the power of death in his hand. Right. And then it said he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And we know the devil was traduce. All right. I don't want to say the devil. The word devil means traduce or hinder. Also, it means a supernatural spirit of a bad character. That was what happened to men when they received death in themselves. That, that produced a bad character that doesn't belong to them whatsoever. So this story in Isaiah, it's, it has a historical meaning, but it needs a little interpretation to understand it. You know, a lot of people look through it and they don't quite understand it to really know the, the real meaning of this. And today we need a more practical understanding that we can live out of it. Uh, all the scripture, and that's what Kay's doing and I'm doing, it, and many other ministers, Don Keithley, we're, we're, we're digging through the word so we can make it a, a practical, so we can live out of it. If, I, if it wasn't practical, then in my, your Bible, the whole Old Testament, we might as well get rid of it. Because like I said last week, that ark doesn't do anything for me. The story of the ark and all those other that. But if you get what's again under the veil, under the religious veil, under some of the mistranslations and some of the false perceptions, then there's some real truth there and it'll help us. So the meaning of Jesse, I like this. I looked this up in several different places <clears throat> because you just won't find it just clicking on one Hebrew word. But the meaning of Jesse means to stand out, to exist, to survive, to come to pass. Jehovah exists and gift. So would that not be the meaning of all of us? That's who we all are. We are, we literally are, the Bible where it says, I am that I am, it says, I exist, I exist. It's always two, it's always plural. I exist, and he looks at you and says, I exist. He exists inside of us. And so we stand out. We stand out. If we, if we teach the truth and we go forth and we're allowing the glory of, the, of God to glow through us, then we stand out. And that's why many times people are attracted to you and you don't know why. They, they're, because they're, they're attracted to what's inside of you and your understanding. So each person receives from our life source, which we title it. I always put IT capital in my Bible as father creator. A spark of life during the conception process. We know, we believe that that's the, mo the very moment that that egg and that sperm come together and, and the holy breath of God enters into that egg and stays there and never leaves. And that comes from our creator. And some people call it the divine spark. We know it as our holy breath. So when the time is right for each person, we become conscious of our divine life within us. And when would be the time... When would the time be right? When they let go of the old. When they get tired of the old. You cannot bring people to what we're teaching. Even in Brother Garner's teaching, the six steps of the throne, many people rejected him, did they not? Because he was making it time sensitive to Jesus. And he was saying that everybody was made right and holy because of what Jesus did. And religiosity couldn't even take that. They didn't want everybody to be holy. They wanted people to have to pay a price and they had to go get saved or whatever and, and, and follow the rules. But the, 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 the right, I got to fix something here. Okay. So when our Holy Spirit breath becomes our daily experience, 
that that's when we're going to be able to help people our daily experience not just sunday morning not just when i go to a revival not when i just have a prayer meeting or whatever see those experiences don't last they're temporal i, I always remember taking our children to camp and that whole week boy they were having experiences they were having a love feast. They were crying. Their kids were getting saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and all that stuff that we taught them. It was a glorious time. But when it was time to go home, they cried. They didn't want to leave because they knew the experience was with this group. But when they went back home, they went to school. People had to go back to work. It was all gone. And they couldn't wait until the next revival or next church camp or whatever we don't want just experiences. We want to experience who we are so we can live out of the permanences of who we are, not experience that people offer you. And so I like this. I've always, uh, I've, the first time I ever saw this verse in Luke 140 about how the, cha the child waxed strong. I'd never heard a preacher preach on that at all. And it, the, so we, what we want to do is we want to wax strong in our holy breath as Jesus did as a child. And when we do that, then we can bear fruit. It says in Luke 140, and the child grew and waxed strong. And that means to empower in holy breath or in spirit, filled with wisdom. And the holy breath of God was in and upon him. And so at this time, Jesus was 12 years old. And I've mentioned it last week, but he was so he had so much understanding and knowledge that at 12 years old, he confounded the doctors. And the doctors were, they, had, they knew everything. They knew everything about the law. And he confounded, that, that just amazes me. And that's why I say, and you say that you can't learn? That you can't study? Yes, you can if you'll wax strong in your spirit, in your holy breath. What verse did you say? Huh? Luke 140. Well, then I typed the wrong one down. I'll correct it. Y'all can find it, though. Uh, <clears throat> so... We, again, we, we don't think we can learn. We don't think we can study. I've had people tell me, well, I can't study like you can. Yeah, you can. You don't have to study as much as I do. That's my passion. It's my calling on my life. But you can study and you can hear. You can open up the Bible. And I don't say just go stick your finger in the Bible, and go, but listen to the Father. And he, you might just hear the word righteousness. Uh, Joanne Paddock, years ago, she became the righteousness teacher. I mean, she, she loved the righteousness and she's gone down that pathway and through the entire Bible and she studied righteousness and she knows about it because there was a passion there for it and you can do it. So the realization and the experience of our holy breath is represented by these seven spirits which exist upon us and it says the shoot from the stock of Jesse. So that's our real self. What I've been teaching you is who your real self, there is no other self. Whatever you would call yourself, it's a lie. Yourself is son of God. Your real self is son of God. Your real self is holy breath. That's who you are. So our delight shall be to give expression to the Christ mind. Our delight shall be to give expression to our holy, our holy breath. We do not judge according to appearances. We judge according to that which is true, that which is right, that which is good, that which is holy. That which is eternal ours, eternally ours, and eternally everybody else's. We judge by the side of our Father. We see people the way our Father sees people. But see, we didn't know how our Father saw people. Right? I heard God could turn his back on people. I heard God turn his back on Jesus, and he did not. He did not. So the word of the Lord, the scripture says, is a two-edged sword. And with this true word, this rod out of his mouth... Will we deny mortal sense, which is liable to die? With our holy breath, uh, will all that seem restless, it will disappear. Whatever was restless. And that's the word I use for wicked. Wicked literally means restless. They have not entered into the rest of God. People say all the time, well, why is there still wickedness in the world today? Why are people doing horrible things? Aren't they demon possessed? No, they just haven't entered into the rest of God. And many of them grew up in church, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But they never heard anything that would cause them to enter into this glorious rest. Mm -hmm. If it's a glorious rest, you want to live out of that, don't you? Yes. Awesome. 
So in Isaiah eleven twelve again, we substituted the word fear for reverence because reverence was the real meaning of the Hebrew word. And that Hebrew word is Y-I-R-A-H. And so now we can look at Proverbs 9, 10 and say the reverence of our father creator is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge. The sacred is understanding. The knowledge of the sacred and understanding. Who is the sacred? You don't know your sacred? We are. That's right. We are sacred. We, we are holy. In the King James, uh, Matthew twenty two fourteen, 14, Jesus said, Many are called, this is in the King James Version, Many are called, but few are chosen. And I, re I remember reading that many years ago, and I said, that doesn't make sense. Sure it Even with what Brother Garner taught us, that is a lie. And I heard that, and I heard, look it up, and the word many is actually, I mean, uh, the word many is all. If you look it up, it says the largest number. So it's all are called. <clears throat> Excuse me. The word called means saint, holy, or sacred. So he said all are sacred. What if we really knew that? All people are sacred. How would that change our speech about other people? How would that change about how we see people, how we treat people? It would change, right? But Jesus said that, but they changed it. The, 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 the religion that translated the Bible changed it because they didn't want people to know that they were sacred and holy. Because I, if, if I know I'm sacred, then you can't put any rules on me. You, you can't make me bow down and worship you. And kiss your ring. I've tried it and nobody would kiss my ring. <laughs> I always did it at our church just playing with people. I, I said, Melanie, just one time. She wouldn't do it. <laughs> but all people are sacred. But it says, but few choose to live sacred. Now, why would you not choose to live sacred, Sue? It's because you don't know that you're sacred. I'm not talking to you. But it, you wouldn't choose to live that way if you didn't know that's who you are. You choose to live who you believe yourself to be. Yeah. And if you told that you were a sinner, then unconsciously you choose to live the symptoms of a sinner. And the sin is a mistaken identity. So you, when you believe and when you see that you're sacred, then you possess your perfect understanding. I've given Donna jewelry and it's in her jewelry cabinet. But when she goes and gets it, she possesses it, right? She gets it out. She puts it on. She enjoys it. We have a social security check and I'm thankful for my social security check. It comes in once a month. It's not mine until we possess it. It's even in my checking account. I, I'm, excuse me. I'm saying I'm not possessing it. It is mine and it's in my checking account. But until we write a check on it or use the debit card, we're not possessing it. It's just sitting there. And somebody else is using it. The bank's using it. But we have, we have this. We have all knowledge. We are sacred. We are holy. Amen. We are the comforters of this earth. We are angels in this earth. Angels means angelos, messengers. We're messengers. Everything that Jesus was, we are. And that's so hard for people. You possess perfect understanding, which is one of the attributes that are that they belong to us and they're part of our being. So when man realizes this eternal existence of I exist, he is in the Jesse state of mind. In the Jesse state of mind. He is uh, his mind uh, from his mind comes God ideas. And from his mind comes the the idea that God had toward man, the ideal that Jesus taught, we begin to live out of that ideal, right? The life that he said, he said, I came to reveal to you life and life more abundantly. How many of us ever experienced that in our, in our younger years? We didn't. So this is the shoot. This is the fruit of the root idea that man is the ever living. I exist a father creator. Who are you? I exist. 
Now, if you go to a doctor and they ask you that, don't say that to them because they might put you on antidepressants or something. <laughs> but you got to know it. You don't have to get out there and start telling people I exist. But you do. I exist. And the I existing one lives inside of me, not in just somewhere in my liver, lives in every part of my being. There's no part of me that, that, that's not God. So what happened to the first man? Well, they had partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the, their consequences, a dual consciousness was set up in their minds. And some things they pronounced good and some things they pronounced evil because they were taught good and evil. Still to this day, as much as we know, and many of you out there on Facebook, it's very hard when you look at something on Facebook and you, want, you don't judge it, right? That one of our people that's running for president, his, his, his identity is a homosexual and he's married to a homosexual and they're running pictures around with him kissing. You know, but see, it's, it's very difficult because of what we've been taught all of our life to not see you, not see God, not see righteousness, not see sacred. He's sacred and his husband is sacred. But they're doing things that are completely contrary to everything we believe. And we have to fight off that judgment because I'm watching Christians really judge them on Facebook. Now, do I want somebody to represent our country that's homosexual or lesbian? Particularly, I don't, but I'm not against them. I'm just against that way of life. I'm not against them. And I have friends that are homosexuals. I have friends that are lesbians, and I love them very much, and they love God. But I have, I have friends that love God that lie and cheat and gossip and no telling what things they've done in their life. So, We've got to see that we're all sacred. And that's the beginning of healing. That's when we can begin to heal one another and see people that way. And when you see somebody that way, then what do you do next? You treat them that way. You treat them that way. And you don't push them away. So that truth will make us free from the chains of error uh, with which ignorance has bound us. And then we experience the recovery of Isaiah chapter 11. And I'm going to show you this now and then I'll close here pretty quick. Isaiah 11, 11. What, baby? <laughs> okay. And it shall come to pass. I'm just going to read most of this, but it shall come to pass in that day. What day is that? In that day. It's whatever day you choose to wake up. It's the day that uh, he's awakening his hand ministry, if you would. Well, that's been going on for a long time. So in that day, uh, the Lord shall set his hand a second, again, the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. These are places that the physical people of Israel had gone off into. They got discouraged and they went away. So notice to recover the remnant of his people. Some of his people have gotten confused and they've gotten lost in their awareness. Would you agree? Some of the people are off the mark, as it were. And the phrase at the end is he will set again the second time a sign to recover them. Those who are still in their bodies, but they're dead in Christ. The Bible says they're alive in Christ and dead in Christ. So there are people who are alive to being the holy breath of God. And there are people who are dead to being the holy breath of God. But they're still both the holy breath of God. All right. So there's eight places where they've gone off to. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this. But number one is Assyria. Assyria means to take a step. It implies going after prosperity. For most of my adult life... Most ministers that I've sat and listened to talked a lot about prosperity. Driving nice cars. You can go to prosperity conferences. You've been to them in prosperity conferences. Learn how to pay your tithe and do this and do that. And you're going to be rich. And God wants us to have nice houses and mansions and everything. And we went after that. God's bringing people back away from that because we don't need that. We have true supply, right? Then number two is Egypt, which is a picture of the world systems by which men are wrongly ruled. So we have gone, rather than living out of the kingdom of God and living out of our 
holy breath. We've gone after the financial industry, the political industry, the medical, the social, and the religious industry. And they're all a religiosity. They're all five systems of the earth. And we've allowed them to rule us and tell us what to do and produce much fear. And I've said this several times. If they're peddling fear, you need to run. Right? Number three is pathros, which means dryness. Men have become spiritually dry because of falling religiosity. I mean, I see it on Facebook all the time. There's a lot of them have gotten really mean. A lot of them don't like what I say. I mean, followed me for a while, but boy, if you sound like you've got, you know, you want them to come to church or you want them to give and support or anything like that, you get attacked. But they've been hurt and they have become dry. They're not sensitive to things like that. Number four is Kush. Kush is, means darkness, no knowledge of Father's true nature or love. There's a lot of people with that. Most people sitting in church are in Kush. Most preachers, male and female, are teaching religiosity, they're in darkness. They don't understand God's eternal love. And then number five is Elam, meaning to hide or conceal. The holy breath of her father is in them, but they did not know it, so it's hidden. You can't see it because we're not letting our light shine, if you would. We did not discern our life to be our holy breath. We were taught that we're just humans and we're just sinners or we're sinners saved by grace. And that's what most people are taught. And then number six is shine our meaning enclosed. And, you know, the Shulamite says, I'm a garden enclosed and a well shut up. So no one could feed from us. And what they did feed from us was dung. That's what Paul called it. Number seven, that's Hamath, meaning a place of two rivers. That's duality. And most of us live that kind of life. Duality. We saw God as one and we're here. You know, we, we would, the pastors would be lifted up as greater than us. You know, so we, we just constantly had duality. And then the realm of opposite, sick, well, you know, on and on and on. So we could say, again, it's a mistaken identity. Or again, a sinner saved by grace or whatever. And number eight is islands of the sea, which is separateness, which is thinking we're naked of Father's life. And also separateness can be separate from one another. And I'm seeing that a lot, a lot today because people are coming out of a religiosity. Some people won't even go to a place that's even teaching truth. They're just, they're just throwing the, what do you call it, uh, the baby out with the bathwater, if you would. And they're missing out on the oneness and fellowship. And, and I love Facebook, but I'm telling you, Facebook's not fellowship. I've met a lot of people that I care for, and I consider them my friend. Everybody on Facebook's not your friend, though. <laughs> I have a relative that didn't know much. She's kind of simple-minded a little bit. And she had a birthday one day, and my, my younger sister posted, well, I already told who she is, <laughs> but, but her younger sister posted on Facebook that it was her birthday. And so my mom and my sister were taking her out to eat, and she had it in her head that all of her friends were coming to the party because they posted it on Facebook where they didn't show up. And she sat there and cried and cried and cried at the restaurant. And they said, what's wrong, Sammy? And she said, well, where's all my friends? And she said, what do you mean? She said, well, you posted it on Facebook. My sister had to say, Sammy, they're not really your friends. They're acquaintances. And, and they're nice to you, <laughs> you know. Where did I, how did I get to that? <laughs> huh? No, that's, that's a rabbit trail, not a lamb trail. Oh, Islands of the Sea. That's right. Thank you. Islands of the Sea. And so people have really gotten separate. And, I, and people are so bound up in the islands of the sea, even when they say things to people that's mean, it's easy for them because you're not connected. I'm the vice president of our homeowner association. And every time we do something nice, and did you see our beautiful trees out front? We put a bunch of uh, Fraser Fontanias. Every time we do something like that, there are a percentage of people in this neighborhood that rail all over us. And they'll say the most horrible things on email and on that neighbor, neighborhood app. I mean, just horrible talk about us that we don't do nothing. And I tell you, I worked my butt off on this neighborhood. Last three days, I probably put seven or eight hours in because somebody broke one of our sprinkler systems. But I'm just saying they do that. But if they would stand face to face to me, they wouldn't do that. All right? 
But I don't believe they would. I have some of them that I've literally talked on the phone and they just calmed down and was real nice. But to me, an island of the sea, as you see yourself different, you don't want to be with other people. And do you think you can see me as holy? You think you can see me as sacred if you don't have a relationship with me and you don't know me? I've had many times in my life where people have disdained me and said bad things about what I do in ministry. And I just, I get real sad and I say, you don't know me. You, you don't even know me. How could you say that about me? And we need to get where we really know people. And, and you remember the movie, The Avatar? And remember they said, I see you. That's what the world's waiting for. They're waiting for this branch man that's just like Jesus was and just like God to stand up and say, I see you and take the time to see people. And I see you as sacred. And I see you as holy. That's what's going to cause people to have a glorious experience. We're going to free them from everything religiosity put on them and all the other systems of the earth. Amen. I hope this fed you well. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And Kay, thanks for the post. I saw you did several posts. Looking forward to read them.